Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. And that's the question, like, is God still in control? The temple's destroyed. The Babel experiment is succeeding despite the curse is God even on the throne anymore? And that again and again and again is proven throughout the book of Daniel, so much so that even on the lips of kings, you have kings confessing, yes, God is is in control. His dominion is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the one who sets up kings and takes them down. He is sovereign over all. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are excited to be in the book of Daniel with you. Seth, how are you feeling today? I'm excited for the book of Daniel. Yeah. Most of my interactions with Daniel as a kid were Lion's Den. <laughs> yes. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, yeah. Primarily through VeggieTales. Ooh, so good. The and bunny. The bunny. The yep. bunny song that got banned for a while in my home. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't eat your, your soup or your bread. I don't bread. want no health food. When it's time to feed, a big bag of bunnies is all that I need. <laughs> I won't go to church and I won't go to school. And it continues. Oh, man. Shut it down. Shut it down. So that's the book of Daniel yeah, through your childhood. <laughs> through my childhood. <laughs> and then as I got older, the book of Daniel was crazy visions about the end of time. Yeah. And I kind of like had all that in my mind. And then I was like, you know, I wonder how much of that's true anymore. And then I put it out of my mind for a long time. Mm. And then I started studying it again for the first time. So this is like a, a revisiting of something that I have a lot of like baggage on and yeah. a lot of memories about, but not a lot of serious study in. That's true. I feel like I resonate with that. It was like, yeah, growing up, Daniel was like a bunch of quick stories about the Daniel diet and Daniel and the lion's den yep. and yeah, the fiery furnace. And that's all it was. It was a story of an ex some exemplary faith. Yes, that's and, right. And then, yeah, then I went to seminary and it was the battleground for debate about what visions meant. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, yeah then I was like, can I just put this down for a second? Cause, <laughs> and yeah, revisiting it now, it's been really sweet and still extremely confusing. Um, but we're going to learn that's maybe the point. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that's the point. Okay. That's all the baggage we're bringing into the book of Daniel. Where should we start when we think about the book of Daniel? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a loaded question. Because we could start where Daniel starts, which is with exile and the uh, plundering of the temple and, you know, Daniel and his friends going into Babylon. We could also start uh, with 
the place of Babylon, which is where all this takes, you know, all this happens. In the land of Shinar. Yes. And it's like, that should set off alarm bells for us to go back to the book of Genesis. So maybe that's the the best place to start, perhaps, is like, okay, all of this is going to take place in Babylon. We're going to hear a lot of themes that end up reminding us of where Babylon began. Yeah. And so that, that all started when? It started back in Genesis 11. Yes. What's crazy, I didn't know this until fairly recently, that the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. that word translated Babel is translated Babylon everywhere else in Scripture. It's the same word. It's the same word. Right. The only time it's ever not Babylon is in the Tower of Babel for some strange reason. Right. But the very first time Babylon is mentioned in Scripture, it is in Genesis 11. Or is it? Does, oh, it's actually right before it's right that. before that in the Table of Nations in Genesis 10, Nimrod, right? One of the un, the unchosen... One of the unchosen... Unchosen uh, child of Noah. And yeah. he builds Babylon. Right. And, and so it's like, uh-oh, the unchosen line uh, of Noah's descendants has gone and built a rival Eden, a rival kingdom, a rival empire uh, in this Table of Nations. And then so we get this Table of Nations. We hear about Babylon being built. We hear about the 70 descendants of Noah. And then we punch into that story and see what happens in the yeah. plains of Shinar in the place called Babylon. Yeah, and in Babylon, they had built this giant tower. Yeah. It says this in Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and everyone came from the east and found a plain called Shinar and mm-hmm. settled there. And they said, let's make bricks. Let's make this technological advancement for our society and build this giant tower that reaches to the heavens, and let's make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. Mm. So already what we're hearing in this first story about Babylon is a desire to stay in one place rather than be scattered. Mm -hmm. We have a a proud desire for autonomy and self-worship, right? like self-idolatry, build a tower that reaches up to the skies. That's right. We can, like gods lived on the top of mountains in the clouds. What if we built a tower and we could either access God ourselves or what if we could be the mountain what if we could be the mountain and live on top of the mountain and we could be our own god yeah yeah so babylon is a place of Mm -hmm. self-worship autonomy yep pride and it's yeah and it's important to know that like it's the opposite of the edenic mandate to be fruitful and multiply to spread over the earth like no no no, let's all come together and be in one place and go up instead of out yes yeah so all that's on the line right and then god comes down and says we're going to confuse their languages and spread them across the earth. God comes down yes. and says, we are we, going yes. to... <laughs> in the same way he does in the book of Genesis 1, yes. said, let us make man in our own image. He said, let yeah. us go down and confuse their languages. We'll talk about that probably okay. more in an upcoming to, episode. To put an asterisk by it. Yeah, like the, the, the tantalizing hint mm. is that let us could be a reference to angels. Yes. And... If it's a reference to angels, does that make sense of all the angels that show up in the book of Daniel? In the book of Daniel. Dun, dun, dun. So just stay okay. tuned for that. Anyway, God comes down, confuses their languages, and because the languages are confused, spreads them. People spread themselves out on right. the earth, God, doing what God wanted yeah. them to do in the first place. <laughs> yeah, God spread people out even against their own will. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. And then the tower is left in ruins. Ba- the Tower mm-hmm. of Babylon is left in but ruins. But Babylon is not gone or forgotten no that's happened on genesis 11 babylon shows up in the book of revelation like babylon Babylon's around forever it's not just a city it's a symbol of all human pride and self-worship that's right empire of self Mm -hmm. 
against the kingdom of God, against humility, against going out into the world mm-hmm. and wanting to isolate themselves and build themselves up. Okay. So how does that inform and set the stage for our reading of the book of Daniel yeah. now that Babylon is the world empire? Right. So what's really interesting is, okay, you had one language allowed them to be an empire. Now there's dozens of languages, and that's mentioned throughout the book of Daniel, mm. but there's still one global empire. Mm. You have Babylon, the biggest brightest most powerful nation there's ever been like yeah. nebuchadnezzar's famous not just in the bible but like in all of ancient history for like the babylonian renaissance like he conquered uh jordan iran egypt syria israel turkey saudi arabia uh he builds his capital city of babylon he has a museum of antiquity in 600 BC. In 600 BC, <laughs> he builds one of the ancient wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens. Right. Uh, which is, a lot of people think, is a riff on the Tower of Babel. Like mm. a giant garden reaching up to the sky. A, right. A, a temple, a garden temple. Like Eden. Like Eden mm. to what? The glory of his majesty. Instead of God's. Instead of God's. Mm. It's it's the same place. Anyway, yeah. So you have like the Babylonic, the Babel, the Tower of Babel experiment is continuing. Is continuing, and it seems to be gaining a lot of ground. And it doesn't need one language to work now. Ah, it's become so powerful that it can, Babel can be built again despite God's curse of it. Right. So what's going on? Is God out of control now? Is yeah. the Tower of Babel experiment now going to succeed despite God's best effort to stop it? After all. The temple's destroyed at the beginning yeah. of Daniel. It seems like maybe all bets are off and God got knocked off the throne. Mm-hmm. And now Babylon is going to raise up and and redo what they failed to do in, in Genesis yeah. 11. Everything's on the line again. Mm. It's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intensification of everything that's happened. Right. It's the same thing that's on the line in, in Genesis 11. Because mm-hmm. the, the story of Genesis is all about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and two rival kingdoms. You have the kingdom of God and the empires of the earth and which one's going to win out. Well, in Genesis 11 with all people coming together to build this evil tower and need and like achieve autonomy away from God, it seems like the empires of the earth are going to win. Yeah. And so if they can overcome God's first curse of Babylon, right. What can't they do? What can't they do? Which is the point that God makes right in Genesis 11. We're also told that uh, in the Babel, the Babel story, the first Babylon story, uh-huh. there's an issue with languages and confusion of languages. Throughout the book of Daniel, you have confusion alongside language and riddles and mysteries and the need for interpretation. Right. The word Babel is even a riff on the Hebrew word for confuse. Right. So, so it th- makes sense that, that the book of Daniel... Is, is full, full of con- confusion. Full of confusion and the need for interpretation. Even the text of Daniel mm-hmm. is written in multiple languages. It's part of it's written in Hebrew yep. and part of it's written in Aramaic. So even the language of the book of Daniel is confused. Yes. <laughs> it proves the point that they are still under the curse of Babylon. So good. Um, we also have in, as we've already talked about this, that Nebuchadnezzar has built the empire of autonomy. He's built the empire of Mm self-worship. He does that by building a statue to himself. He does that in all sorts of ways. And he's, he's making a bigger and badder and better Babylon. Mm -hmm. One that can, seems like it might be able to undo God's curse under his rule. You also have the themes of scattering and gathering in the book of um, Daniel. The people of God have been scattered because of the exile. People of God have been conquered by Babylon and scattered inside Babylon. 
So maybe that's actually a hint of hope. Right. Can the scattered people of God inside Babylon bring blessing? Right. That was the hope. That was the that hope. That God would spread them out like the morning dew across the nations. Yeah. Yeah. And what's another interesting little fact about the Babel story is right after the Tower of Babel falls, we're told that God brings Abraham out of the land of the Chaldeans. Mm-hmm. Which is out, Babylon. Which is Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 1, Babylon is called Chaldea mm-hmm. again. So God pulls out somebody from Babylon to create his people. And now in Babylon, we have the scattered people of God once again. Mm. We're wondering, can the scattered people of God do the say, create a new kingdom like Abraham did? Mm-hmm. Can there new seeds of the kingdom be born in exile? Is that possible? Right. It sure uh, looks like it because God does it again. He, he brings Daniel up. Yes. Right. And okay. then in the Babel story, you have this giant edifice, this giant tower that gets that's torn, torn down. down. And throughout the book of Daniel, you have giant things being torn down. You have Nebuchadnezzar's statue being raised up and then torn down. You have him actually building the statue and then him saying, never mind, worship Daniel's God. (laughs) You have a vision of a giant tree. That gets cut down to the stump. That gets cut down to the trump. Kings rise and fall almost at will. And the big... One one, one of the uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son is even pictured as a new statue yes. that crumbles from head to toe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In, in Daniel 5. Okay. So. Yeah. To tie a bow on that. The destruction of edifices in uh, Daniel mirrors the destruction of the Tower of Babel edifice in Genesis yeah. 11. Okay. We're retelling the, Daniel is retelling the Babel story, mm-hmm. but in a deeper and darker Babylon. Yes. And the question is, is can God still, is God still in control? That's right. When the curse is even worse when the empires are even more powerful and the people of God aren't even, can't even be called out of Babylon because they've been absorbed into it. Right. And that's kind of what we leaned into. That's the question we leaned into in the introduction video that we did with Spoken Gospel is, is like, it, despite what it looks like, God is in control is, right. was the through line we put. And that's the question. Like, is God still in control? The temple's destroyed. The Babel experiment is succeeding despite the curse. Uh, is God even on the throne anymore? And that again and again and again is proven throughout the book of Daniel, so much so that even on the lips of kings, you have kings confessing, yes, God is is in control. His dominion is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the one who sets up kings and takes them down. He is sovereign over all. Yeah. And you even have Nebuchadnezzar himself, the king of Babylon, the builder of the tower, <laughs> making that admission. And so that's the point that Daniel's trying to get us to see. That's right. Yeah. I, I wrote this down a while ago. I need to double check if it's true. But I think if it, you read Daniel this week, you'll notice every time that God makes a pronouncement, like through a vision or a dream, it's to pronounce the fall of a king mm. and then it, ha- then it happening right. or being promised to happen. And every time a king speaks, like Nebuchadnezzar or Darius, it's to pronounce that God's kingdom never fails. Yeah, There's this very intentional movement within Daniel to show you that God is in control, even inside Babylon. Mm. He's going to tear Babel down once again and over and over and over again. So how do we see Jesus in the story of the Tower of Babel and its analog in Babylon as a as a concept? Not even necessarily in the details, but like, we have the Tower of Babel experiment to be autonomous apart from God, to deny the call to be spread out and be fruitful and multiply and bless the world. That's now 
almost achieved in the actual geopolitical region of Babylon. Um, how, how do we see the gospel in these themes that we've set up here? Well, I mean, I guess it's pretty simple. Like <laughs> Jesus is in control. Mm. Jesus is the king above all kings. It, right in the middle of the book of Daniel is Daniel chapter 7. And there's right. this vision of this being called the Ancient of Days. It's a picture of God and him giving the kingdoms of the world to this rising one called a son of man. I mean, we'll get there eventually, but it's it's Jesus. Right. Jesus constantly identifies himself as the as son, a son of, man. of man. And he says whenever he's being tried by the Pharisees that he is the son of man about to ride the clouds yeah. and take his seat mm. in power above all people. So, I mean, if Daniel's in this in, entirely encompassing empire of self-rule and self-worship and dominion and power and brutality and evil. God speaks to him in that moment and gives him a vision that says, no, don't worry. There's a day coming when I will give a son of man control over all the nations of the earth. And we live after that fact. We live after the moment where a final son of man rules over all the empires of the world. Mm. He determines who rules and who falls he determines whether or not I'm safe. Mm-hmm. And the answer is, I'm always safe. Yeah. Death cannot rule over people who live in the kingdom of the Son of God. Like, I want to be more specific than that, but I feel like I'm going to start robbing like all of the other things yeah, we have yeah, planned yeah. for the book of Daniel. But, I mean, the basic good news is that Jesus is on the throne. Right. Yeah, because it's like the bad news of Daniel uh, and the bad news of Babylon is what happens when we're put in charge. Mm. Like when we're put in charge, we would oppress each other. Uh, like We're confused. Yeah, we're confused. We're Babylon. Babylon we're scattered and confused. We're scattered and confused. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus is the, the one who brings clarity and unity. You know, mm. like there's also that going on. Yeah. Well, it makes me think a little bit about Acts 2. Yes, the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. And um, throughout the book of Daniel, there's all these crazy visions and dreams Mm -hmm. and Daniel doesn't always know what's happening in them. Yeah. And, but God gives him interpretation sometimes and sometimes he doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's interesting that on the day of Pentecost, you have all these people from all over the world gather in one place again. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they go back out into all the world preaching the gospel of the kingdom Mm -hmm. and that's what the whole book of acts is about like the kingdom has come and they go out and preaching the king a new kingdom the old empire is over a new kingdom has come right they reverse the tower of babel they reverse the tower of babel right they turn the scattered nations from a curse into a blessing yes yes they're because they're using the scattered nations as the vehicle to bring god's blessing of the good news of the kingdom to the ends of the earth yeah right uh, but yeah, what's interesting is about that is like, yeah, they're, they're sent out with dreams and visions just right. like Daniel was. Yeah. Um, in Acts 2, uh, Peter says that day when they start speaking in tongues and languages are being interpreted, mm-hmm. that that's the fulfillment of a prophecy from Joel where your young men will dream dreams and your young women will dream visions and mm-hmm. your, everyone will have access to the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Yeah. That which only Daniel really had access to in, in the book of Daniel and then sometimes couldn't even understand yeah. what was going on is democratized and given to all people. So we know what's going on. Yeah. yeah. In God's, yeah, when Jesus is on the throne, we know what's going on in the world. Right. And maybe that's a different way to talk about the good news of the book of Daniel. Mm. It's like, 
without the visions Daniel had, Mm -hmm. he would have been totally lost as to what was happening to God's people. That's right. It's like, oh, we've been squashed. Our temple's destroyed. There's no hope for us. There's no access to God. Maybe I should hop on Babylon's tower because I can't think of another way to get to God. Right. That's exactly right. (laughs) Like, Without the visions Daniel had... How would he have known God was still on the move? Mm-hmm. How would he have known that Babel would fall? Right. How would he have known that Nebuchadnezzar was being formed by God and changing his like? How would he have known any of that without the visions? He wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus comes and he sits on his throne and he gives new dreams and visions to the people of God, we are never without an answer to the geopolitical maneuverings of the world mm. or the spiritual maneuverings of the world. The world can be a mess of like loneliness or isolation or empire or brutality. Mm-hmm. Like right now, this morning, this Russia morning. Yeah. invaded Ukraine. Yeah. What's happening in the world? Right. Who's in charge? How do I know I'll be okay? How do a Ukrainian believers know they'll be okay? Right. Who's really in charge? Well, the mystery has been revealed in Jesus. Jesus is in charge. Mm. And he's moving the wheels of history and geopolitics and spirituality for the benefit of his people and to restore them to himself. Yeah, that's good news. That's the good news of the book of Daniel. Yeah. Okay, what's what we were doing by going back to Genesis and reading Genesis into Daniel, it's undoing a lot of my assumptions about what the book of Daniel is doing. Mm. I thought the book of Daniel was a morality tale about how to be good people. Okay. Or proof text about my interpretation about what the end of the world will look like. Sure. That's what the book of Daniel was to yes. old Seth. The book of Genesis changes that for me a little bit. But I also think the book of Revelation should change that for us as well, Mm -hmm. because there's really strong links between the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. So much so, like, there's a seal that's closed at the end of Daniel, and then it's only opened again by an angel until the book of Revelation, right? Right, yes. Right, so... The story of Daniel stops at the end, and it doesn't start again until Revelation 5. So, and that kind of broke my paradigms for what the book of Daniel was about. I was like... Is, wait, these are proof texts for me to be a better person and me to know what in history is happening. But what we kind of realized in our study was like there's a broader story that Daniel fits in the middle of and Genesis points towards it and mm. Revelation looks back on it. Right. So can you pull on Revelation for us and tell us like how Revelation understands the book of Daniel? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So, you know, when, when Jesus and his disciples think back about the book of Daniel, they obviously realize that everything Daniel was looking forward to has been or is soon to be fulfilled by Jesus himself. So much so that the seal, and we'll talk about this more in in detail when we get there, but the seal that's closed at the end of Daniel is opened and can only be opened by Jesus himself. Because Daniel gets to the end of all these visions that he's seen, and he's just confused. Mm -hmm. The end of Daniel, he's just confused. And he's like, what does it mean? Tell me. Like, how long? Who's the beast with ten horns? When is this going to happen? All these questions. And they just like, they just, the angel just looks at him and instead of interpreting it, he just says, go your way, Daniel, walk away from this. This is sealed up now for until the end of time. Mm-hmm. You, you can't know it. And so we get, we pick up the story so again. Let's pause right okay, there yeah, for yeah, a yeah. second. The book, I, that blew my mind when I first kind of like actually let hold of that. Totally. Because for so much of 
my youth and the early point adulthood has to be to understand it, to know the answer, to know the answer, to know what happens next. But right. the book of Daniel ends in chapter twelve. Say, Daniel, this isn't for you to understand until the end of time. Right. And I'm like, oh, Daniel never got the answer. Daniel didn't got the answer, and I shouldn't expect to figure out an answer either. Yeah. So yeah, it's amazing. And so, and we don't get the answer until Jesus. Yeah. And then Jesus comes along. And he picks up the end of the story of the book of Daniel in Revelation 5. And you have all these all these people and all these angelic beings wailing and mourning. And the author of Revelation himself is throwing himself down on the ground going, Oh man, I just want to know how the story's going to end. Like he's joining Daniel at the end. Going like, oh, and he's crying. Yeah. So like, this is Revelation 5. This is right? Revelation 5. Yeah. How can I know the end of the story? What's going to happen? And then who's worthy to open the yeah, scroll, the right, seal? Exactly. Yeah. Who can open the scroll and tell me the end of the story? And the angel comes to him again, just like he came to Daniel. And instead of saying, go your way, you know, don't worry mm-hmm. about it. He says, behold, there's one who can open the scroll. Now mm-hmm. there's one who can break the seal and it's the lion and the lamb. It's mm-hmm. Jesus himself. And so he opens, there's now there's seven seals repeating the sevens of Daniel mm-hmm. opens the, the all one through six. And there are all these plagues that come out on the earth and everything like that. We don't talk about those. And then in chapter eight, when the seal is finally open, when the, the last seal, the last open, seal, the scroll can finally open. Yes. Yeah, so the fin- final seal is open and the story is read. A seal on a scroll yes. would have been like a wax thing. That's right. That would have prevented it from opening until you broke off all the all wax the seals. seals. So like if you want to read a scroll, you have to break off all the seals. That's so right. The, so the reason why this is a big deal is like why it's sealed. Daniel's, Daniel's getting this vision of like a scroll that he wants to open, but there's a giant wax thing on it that can't be opened yet. That's and in right. Revelation, they're all popped off. And yes. when the final one's popped off and they open it, we get to hear the end of the story. We get to hear the end of the story. And the end of the story is this. And it's going to sound a little confusing, but I'm going to go back and explain it. So the end of the story is this. Um, Jesus is the king. Hallelujah. And everyone stands around him and offers up praise and worship mm-hmm. and prayers to him. In such a way that the author of Revelation says it looks like incense burning and and like mm. the smoke of sacrifices going up to Jesus, and that's the seventh. That's the end of the story, is mm. that Jesus is on the throne and the worship of God is going to Him alone from the praises of the people, burning like incense and burnt offerings. Strange, strange, because you expect the 70 weeks or the 70 times seven or the 1260 days to be like some intense geopolitical maneuvering. Maybe it's the Seleucid army. Maybe it's the Ptolemies. Maybe <laughs> it's Alexander the great, but the, 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 the vision is Jesus ruling on a throne and all of the peoples of the world worshiping him. That's right. And like, yes, there are kingdoms judged and empires toppled. That's part of right the, point of the other plays. That's right. All, all but the, other seals. the point, the final end of the story that, Daniel so long to look into what was the answer to this question. And I think this is how we can, we can try to make sense of that seventh seal. And it's pretty simple. We've talked about it already. It's that Israel's temple and the place where they worship God has been destroyed. They they can no longer, they can no longer worship God. The incense and the smoke from the offerings has stopped going up. Where? In, In the temple, in Daniel's time. In Daniel's time. That's right. The the, the the temple's destroyed. The temple's destroyed. That's they're how in that's exile. Verse two. Yeah, yep. they're in exile. Right. There's no more smoke. God's not smelling the offering of His people anymore. That's right. And Daniel has been wondering, when can I go home? Right. And when can my relationship be restored with God back at the temple? That's right. Everyone's wondering that. Everyone's All the wondering. people of Israel are wondering that. 
And uh, that's the question he keeps asking. He keeps asking the question, when will the burnt offerings return? And the angel keeps telling him, oh, this empire is going to come and the burnt offerings won't come back yet. And this empire will come and the burnt offerings and the incense won't come back yet. And then he gets to it again uh, in chapter 12. And he's like, then when can we go back to the temple and be home? And that's when he tells him to walk away because the answer's sealed up. Mm. So you're, what you're saying is when the seal's finally open, we see a new temple. A new temple. But it's not a building made nope. with hands. That's right. It's Jesus himself. And the temple is restored, but in Jesus. That's right. And so what Daniel so longs to look into uh, is that... Um, the home Israel wants to go to, the worship that she wants restored, the the place of her offerings and incense is not going to be another physical building, and it's not going to be animals sacrificed and uh, frankincense lit, right? Yeah. It's going to be the person of Jesus worshipped and, imbo- and and dwelling in his people offering praise and prayers to him. Yeah. Um, and so the prayers of the saints are often tied to this idea of incense like prayers are often called incense what this does for me is it helps gives me another layer to think about the book of daniel so revelation look like genesis looks forward to daniel revelation looks back to daniel mm-hmm. and what you're saying revelation is all about is the restored worship that's of, right the, re, the restored authority of god above all things and the restored like worship of god that's right the inbreaking of the kingdom and when the kingdom comes in the temple's got to be in the center of the of the kingdom. And when we see that happen in Revelation, the temple's gone. The kingdom comes and the temple's gone. Because it's Jesus. Because it's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the temple. So so Daniel sits in the middle of those two realities. Yes. The broken power of Babylon that still seems to exist and is growing in power, but also a promised power in worship, system of worship is even greater and it will supersede and Daniel's waiting in the middle of them. That's right. You have the ascendancy of the empire of self-rule in Babel and mm-hmm. Babylon. Mm-hmm. And then you have the promise of the ultimate empire and the ultimate system of worship in Jesus on the other end. And Daniel sits in the middle saying, when will, how, how do I live in the middle? <laughs> how do I live in the middle? How do I live in the middle? Yeah. And this, I mean, this, uh, all of our talk about Babel and the tower and Babylon and confusion and self-autonomy and all this stuff makes me see all the more clearly how obsessed with this, when are we going to go back to the temple? When are the burnt offerings going to yeah. restore? When's the incense going to come back? Because what was the Tower of Babel if not a different temple? Yeah, It was just a different temple. Right. It was one built on self-righteousness and self-autonomy that could do it without God. Right. And what was the kingdom of Babylon if not a kingdom without God? Yeah, and what does Nebuchadnezzar want? Worship of himself. What right. does Darius want? Worship of himself. You have two kings who embody yes. in their own political practice what net babylon as a spiritual force that's right has been doing since the beginning yes and so like daniel is, is asking that question of when will the kingdoms of this world who only want to worship themselves when will those be brought to an end and when can i get back to worshiping god alone mm-hmm. and the seal is finally popped off the story is finally read and the answer is not until jesus mm-hmm. and jesus comes and he topples the kingdoms of the world rises above them sits in all authority and says now my praise comes from my people, and I'm with them. What that makes me appreciate a little bit more here is I think I want to be Daniel in this book. Yeah. I'm supposed to see myself as Daniel, right? Like, mm. But what I'm realizing as I hear this more and more is like, no, I'm the person in exile. Mm. Yes, that's And right. the book of Daniel isn't written to make more Daniels. 
The book of Daniel is written to the beleaguered, oppressed, conquered people of God Mm -hmm. saying, here's what you can expect in the future. Here's how the kingdom crumbles. Yes. Not by your efforts, but by my hand choosing a representative for you. I have thrones in Babylon. I have thrones among all the nations of the earth and I will conquer and topple them on your behalf. Yes. Trust. Yes. And I think we talked about this as before we got on air, the primary audience for all these prophecies and all these stories are the masses of scattered Jews throughout the Babylonian empire who have no hope of gaining any political traction for their efforts. That's right. They have no hope of exercising political or military or imperialistic Mm. or cultural power. And so what do they do? They need to hope that God has a throne somewhere and can overthrow Babylon. Yes. And in Daniel, you have a picture of what that could look like. Daniel is kind of like Jesus Mm. seated at the right hand of God, but also Nebuchadnezzar who claims to be God. Right. And through Daniel's action, he makes peace Mm -hmm. for the people of God. So much so that if you go and read Jeremiah and Ezekiel, those prophets tell the people of God to build homes in exile. Yeah, go ahead and plant a garden while you're in Babylon. Because Daniel is able to influence Nebuchadnezzar to such a degree to give peace to the people of God yes. in exile. Yeah. How do you live in the middle when you're in Babylon? You bless where you are. Yeah. You make it an inhabitable garden. You build the kingdom inside of the empire. Right. Yeah. So I think all I was trying to hope I, I hope I nailed that in mm. since like, man, like I want to be Daniel. But I think Daniel's inviting me to be more like the powerless Jew. Right. In and to, to hope that despite what it looks like, God is in control. And dis- and that he will elevate someone mm-hmm. to take control of the thrones right. and operate on my behalf. And to make it okay for me to live where I am, even if I never see an inch of movement on in my behalf or right. my favor, right? Oh, totally. Because yeah. Yeah, for hundreds of years, that was the state of much of the Jewish nation scattered among the nations. Even the Apostle Peter, when he writes his letters to his churches in First and Second Peter, still imagines after Jesus comes back that the people of God is exiles. He even says he's writing from Babylon, referring yes. to Rome. Yes. Why? Because none of these believers have any hope of changing yeah. the nation they're in. They could only be oppressed over. But what's the hope there? That God is on the throne That's right. and he's moving beyond, behind the curtains of history in a power to do good to his people and bring them into his kingdom forever. Yeah. And what's funny is we've talked about the links between Daniel and Revelation. The You're, you're saying the point of the book of Revelation, the, the core audience for the book of, sorry, for the book of Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the beleaguered, exiled Jew. Yeah. Right? That's the exact same audience for the book of Revelation. That's right. Is the exiled Christians scattered Mm -hmm. around the world who get the first seven letters of Mm -hmm. Revelation, right? Right. And it's like, hey, I know that you're being persecuted and you're wondering if Jesus is really in control because it sure doesn't look like it with your situation. Let me paint you an apocalyptic picture of what's actually going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what Daniel does. Yeah. And the book of Revelation borrows all of its images from Daniel anyway. It's doing the same thing. So I think like that's a really good way to set up the the book of Daniel here is like who like who should you see yourself, you know, as as we go through the book of Daniel of the next several weeks. I think it would be like as someone who is living in Babylon, because wherever you are, whatever nation you're in, you're in a a version of Babylon. Yeah. 
and there's to, no nation that <laughs> says like we exist for the glory of God alone, yeah. <laughs> and we're not trying to rule ourselves or worship ourselves. We don't have worship. we don't have any earthly rulers. God alone is our ruler. No one's no, doing no that. one's doing that. Everyone's living in Babylon, um, and uh, and it's like this. This is like me- good hope to you. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's like Revelation Part One. Yeah, and it's like here's what is going to happen with the cycles of the world and the end of time. Um, let me just encourage you that don't worry, the Son of Man is going to reign, mm-hmm. and the kingdoms of this world that oppress you are going to topple. Mm-hmm. And that's really good news. Yeah. So before we jump off the air, we wanted to kind of preview, we would love for you to read the book of Daniel this week. Yeah, go read the book of Daniel. It's fairly short, 40 yeah. minutes or so. Yep. Um, and what we want you to know is that the whole book of Daniel is structured like a chiasm, mm-hmm. which is basically bookends every chapter has a parallel chapter within the book of daniel Mm -hmm. which was another big mind-blowing moment for me it's like oh daniel talks to itself the entire time it's it i don't need to go to the book of revelation to understand daniel right because chapter two and chapter seven both have visions of four kingdoms oh that's interesting so anyway yes i want to give you the structure of the book of daniel so if you read it this week you'll kind of understand where you're at and how it works so chapter one is the beginning of exile. It's okay, the beginning yeah. of Daniel and exile. The people of God are taken away from the the, the kingdom of Jerusalem and mm-hmm. they're taken into Babylon away from the temple. That's the beginning of exile. So exile is the theme of chapter yeah. one. And that parallels the last five chapters where Daniel has visions of that exile finally coming to an end. Yes. Eight through 12 are all about that exile coming to an end. And right. as you read chapter one and chapter eight through 12, look out for those themes of temple and exile because they're everywhere within those yeah so chapter you're saying like chapter one is like we've left the temple how will we get back chapter mm-hmm. eight to twelve is kind of the answer yeah in part because yes. the seal the seal <laughs> okay uh and i think in chapter one it's kind of hidden we talked about we'll talk about in the next episode about how there's these blemishless oh i can't wait people to of this. god yes. who can work on behalf of god's people and are better anyway we'll get there uh and then in chapter two you have Nebuchadnezzar's vision of this giant statue divided into four parts. Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream, and it's it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's paralleled with Daniel chapter 7, mm-hmm. where you have Nebuchadnezzar having a dream of or four... Or da- Daniel having a dream. Daniel, sorry. Daniel having a dream of four kingdoms represented by these kind of four monsters. And in the same way in chapter 2, mm-hmm. when Daniel is risen into a throne in Babylon after giving the interpretation of the four visions, we see a figure, these four visions of these different kingdoms being interpreted and then another son of man ascending to a different throne. So mm-hmm. they're, they're paralleling one another. Okay. Um, in chapter three, we have the fiery furnace, right? It's this test of fidelity when Babylon goes crazy and demands self-worship. Yes. And that's paralleled with chapter six, which is, the lion's den and it's another test of fidelity of god's kingdom to a king that demands worship yes same thing happening and then in the very center of the book Mm. and normally the center of a chiasm is the most important yes it's the the central themes of the book where they finally coalesce and come together you have nebuchadnezzar has another vision of this giant tree that's chopped down and then goes insane (laughs) 
And then Nebuchadnezzar goes insane because yeah, he, he is the like tree. A beast that eats grass for it, seven years. Yeah, and then he's given his kingdom back and then he praises God. And the picture we have at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life is one of repentance and humility yep. and a kingdom being restored to Nebuchadnezzar and him giving more authority than he had before. So you have the proud king being humbled. Humbled and then risen back up. And risen back up. That's risen right. back up. So yep. kind of actually like the son of man being risen back up. That's it's right. the si- similar themes. But in the very next it's chapter. mirrored with his son. It's probably his grandson. But oh, okay. yes. Okay. Uh, Belshazzar has an opportunity to humble himself, refuses that humbling, and is killed the very same night. Mm. And you have, in the middle of the book, a reflection on pride and humility and how one enters the kingdom of God or remains in the empire of autonomy. And if you go into the kingdom of God, you're risen up like the son of man, like Daniel, mm. but you remain in the kingdom of autonomy, you die. Okay, so starting at the top and going into the center of the chiasm, you have mm-hmm. exile, the the four kingdoms being judged, mm. you've got the test of faith, and then you've got pride and humility. Yep. And then it works back out again. Pride yes. and humility, the test of faith, the four kings being judged, and exile. Yes. Okay. I can never tell if a chiasm comes across very well on, on audio. audio. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting here doing all this stuff with our hands. <laughs> Maybe I'll just put it in the show notes. Yeah. Well, you know, don't make any promises you won't, you can't keep. I can keep this. You can promise. keep this promise. I got it right here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anything else about about this? Uh, oh, but how are we going to walk through? Oh, the yes. book of Daniel. Um, so we thought for a while about, well, let's do the chiasm. Let's do chapter one with chapters eight through twelve, and chapter two with chapter seven, and chapter yeah, yeah, three yeah. with chapter six. We could do that, yeah. But there's so much gold and in you, each u- unit, in each unit that we're going to basically attack it chapter by chapter mm-hmm. until the visions at the end, which we'll either do in one big chunk or <laughs> maybe two episodes. Maybe we'll get lost in the weeds. Maybe we'll get lost in the weeds. We'll see. Uh, but that's that's what's coming up. Okay. Next. So we, although it is this kind of chiasm, we're gonna go through it sequentially. Yeah, and we'll and we'll make references to the mm-hmm. other stories mm-hmm. as you're meant to. Right. So okay. Well, that's great. Well, I'm excited to walk through Daniel with you, Seth, and with everyone listening. So thank you so much for joining us this week on the Spoken Gospel Podcast, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.